Hello, romantics. Welcome to A Pod to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and you know, we're continuing the sports romance miniseries. And, you know, I was trying really hard to find different sports for each episode because I think every sport has had a romantic comedy, or at least mo- all the major ones have. And when I was looking for a tennis movie, I, I don't know, I guess I really didn't know if there were like that many really interesting ones. Um, the one that has always stood out to me is the one we're talking about today, which is the film um, Wimbledon from the year 2004, directed by Richard um, Lon Crane, starring Kirsten Dunst and Paul Bettany and Sam Neill and John Favreau and James McAvoy and Nicolaj Coster-Waldo. I mean, just like a bunch of people that um, are like super famous now. Um, and I guess were famous back then, but I wasn't paying attention. Um, but anyways, you know, we're talking about a Kirsten Dunst movie. And, you know, we all love Kiki. She's an icon. She's a goddess. She's one of the, one of the best. So I had to bring mm-hmm. on another amazing icon goddess. Oh, God. <laughs> um, um, you know, my very good friend from the Bollywood is for Lovers podcast, Aaron Fraser. How are you? Welcome. Hi. Back. Thank you so much for having me back. Um, thank you for being here and for um, being on this episode with me about uh, Wimbledon. Well, first, I, I want to get your... Um, like if you have any like sports takes or tennis opinions or just like oh. what's your familiarity with the sport or with is it played differently in Canada than it is in the US I mean I, I don't think so but um, I don't think what, so it's not football. popular yeah um so yeah I, I feel very um underprepared to talk about (laughs) tennis. I fully admit tennis is one of the sports out of all the kind of sports that are being covered um, on this series. Tennis is one I'm really unfamiliar with. I played it, like we were taught how to play it in like junior high. Yeah. um, And I know that the like scoring system, like that you say love (laughs) when it's zero. And, but I I admit, I don't know much about tennis, Um, but it's, I guess I don't know how popular it is in the U.S. It's not unpopular here in Canada. I know a lot of people who watch tennis. And I know a lot of people who play tennis, especially in the summer. Um, the like, there's tennis courts all around the neighborhood, and you'll see people out there playing it. Um, pickleball has also become yeah, very popular. Yeah. But I fully admit, I am not a tennis person. Okay, <laughs> but I am a Kirsten Dunst person. Yeah, um, I am a very big fan of of Kirsten Dunst, and so that's kind of why when you were 
when you were uh, presenting me with the options and some of my some of my favorite sports rom-coms were already taken um, or I've already discussed them because, you know, like Love and Basketball is one of my favorites, but I've done an episode on it on one of my other shows, Treasure in the Movies. And so I didn't want to repeat myself. I want, you know, I want your listeners to have like new fresh takes. takes. Yeah. Fresh <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, but Kirsten Dunst, I am, I will, I will watch her do anything and I'll watch her play any sport. <laughs> Yeah. Um so I have I have no I have no hot tennis takes other than it does seem to be one of the sports where um women really be- can become kind of big names as opposed to, you know, yeah. like like golf or hockey which is obviously big in Canada um or football whether like American Canadian or <laughs> the rest of the world soccer. <laughs> Like, you know, it is one of the, it's one of the sports where I think there are big names and I can name more female tennis players than I can. Male yeah. Tennis yeah. That's definitely true. Um, yeah. and I think that's interesting about tennis, um, because yeah, I feel like, I mean, I don't know who's where on what rankings, but I feel like definitely like the Williams sisters for sure are mm-hmm. the most famous tennis players. Like yeah. whether they're the best in the ranking, I'm sure it fluctuates every year, but um they're definitely the most famous and the most mm-hmm. you know people will like travel to see their matches um yes. whereas like you know with like women's um women's basketball or women's softball i don't think that's really the case um yeah. or other sports like field hockey i guess um i, I think in america like tennis is popular to play because you are we have that here where there's a lot of tennis courts around and of course mm-hmm. pickleball became like it went viral in the last couple of years, I think during the pandemic or post pandemic. Um, but uh, I, I do think that like the US Open is really big here, but I feel like tennis is not really a sport that people pay attention to until it's like the grand tournaments. You know, yes. Like, I don't know if anyone's like watching these like qualifying matches. I don't really know how like tennis seasons work either. Um, I don't either. And I think like once a superstar comes along, like people I've never heard talk about tennis before suddenly are like really excited to see like Naomi Osaka play. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I think I think when some of these these big personalities come along, like yeah. people start to take notice out of side of um kind of maybe your nor your regular tennis fans. I feel like it catches on. <laughs> But I imagine you're not really a sports person in general. Or... No, but okay. I love sports movies. Yeah, um, okay. I mean, that's I do... been the theme of the podcast season. <laughs> yes, of course. I Yeah, I, I mean, I played basketball in junior high, um, so I have played a sport. <laughs> but I, I do really love sports movies because I think um, they, like, it's a very kind of clear... Um, plot structure of like there's a very clear like challenge at the center of sports movies it's very easy to you know um kind of tell i think uh, a story of like human triumph or love you know in the in the background of the sports world that i think is often very satisfying i think they're kind of they're easy movies to watch and i think when they're done well they are just some of the most exciting ones yeah yeah and so i feel like i've learned more about sports through watching like sports biopics and sports movies right. than, <laughs> than what i remember from gym class yeah well then let's kind of switch gears and talk about you know uh kirsten dunst and kind of like what your yeah. um introduction to her was uh and kind of like how have like how have you really like uh, 
uh, uh, like be- like become a fan of hers over the years and kind of like what were the movies that really stood out to you in the last mm-hmm. you know 20 years or so I've been a fan of her since since I was a child um, and it's it's very much uh, the 90s uh, Little Women with her playing Amy that film was uh, a like just kind of a classic growing up watching. I remember seeing it in the theaters and just watching the VHS over and over and over and over again. And I am also the youngest of four sisters. And so I really, I've always related to Amy mm-hmm. and I really relate to, to her performance as, as young Amy March. So that's definitely like where it started was I, I saw this little girl on screen and I was like, I'm like, like that little girl. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that's definitely where the love affair started. And then, um, you know, I feel like, I feel like in the kind of early to mid 2000s, people were really anti Kirsten Dunst for some yeah, reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just kind of like she had just given too many compelling and classic performances and too many impressive ones, like from Injury of the Vampire, Jumanji, um, all the way up to, to bring it on. Like, I think, think they were all hits like they were all home runs and then like with spider-man like the culture just kind of turned on her in a way that felt really unfair um which just kind of i think made me cling on to my love of kirsten dunce even more uh because you know you become kind of i think protective of the stars that you love and now I'm glad that everyone, you know, I think, I think has, uh, has really seen the light and understands yeah. how great she is. And, you know, I think there was a lot of, I think there was a lot of excitement when she finally got an Oscar nomination, you know, like she didn't get it for bring it on because they'll never, you know, recognize a performance like that. But then you like, she didn't get it for melancholia, uh, which yeah. is insane. Or Marie Antoinette, like those, those are incredible performances. And so I think the excitement of her finally getting it for the power of the dog, you could really like feel like the Kirsten Dunst fandom. <laughs> yeah. Just like erupt because I do think, I do think she is beloved. I mean, what about you, Manish? I, I know you like Kirsten Dunst. I mean, yeah, she's, I think for me, Jumanji was the, mm. you know, that was such a major movie for me as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think she was just so relatable. And so um, she just has this like quality to her where it's yeah. like, she's unbelievably gorgeous and so elegant, but also doesn't feel like she is, um, she feels very approachable and um, you know I actually thought I well, there's one time where I thought I saw her leaving the hotel but then oh I was kind of far away so I didn't know if it was actually her because it looked just like her but then I'm like well you know you're also like across the street and like it's a blonde woman and you know like it, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it was her but in my mind it was you know, let's um, believe it was her I like to believe it <laughs> uh, because it was a fancy hotel so like reasonably she would be she could mm-hmm. be staying there Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's a mystery to this day, but, um, so I, I've always just thought she was so like, very cool, very like unassuming, like for someone that has had like so many like iconic movies to her name, mm-hmm. like of course is a part of like the biggest superhero trilogy, like most successful, whatever. Mm-hmm. She just seems so unassuming and so just like grounded in these performances. And like, I agree. I, I mean, I remember the two thousands where, you know, her career really took a downturn. I think it was because of Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and I think and I that... don't think Elizabeth Town, which 
which yeah. is the film she does after Wimbledon. I don't think that helps because, you know, that's where, unfortunately, the manic pixie dream girl uh, <laughs> phrase was coined. Um, and I think I think everyone regrets that whole kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and and I I really think that like yeah, there was a certain idea that um, that she that she was obnoxious, um, but at the same time, you know, being a young woman at the time, it just kind of felt like like the culture was raging against young women. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, there's that, of course, and just like. Her position of being like the like the love interest in a superhero movie before yes. you know, back when like love interests were very like conventional of like being yeah. rescued and being torn and not knowing. But honestly, when and I Mary that, Jane is supposed to be a model and Kirsten Dunst isn't pretty enough for that. Like I remember shit like that. It's just like, are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> are and you kidding? The, me? I mean, like she, you know, forget that. But like even like within the movies, I feel like Mary Jane is like struggling with her like mediocrity or like her like yeah or like her um uh like uh, self-confidence and self-esteem and that like it's mm-hmm. actually really perfect casting you know not because she's ugly or anything but like because she has that like quality to her of like people are always doubting her it actually I, like i feel like when i go back and watch spider-man movies again like i'm really taken with her performance and i and yeah. her characters i think there's a lot there and way back in 2020 um i talked about the Spider-Man movies on this podcast as mm-hmm. like romances and like superhero romances and you know kind of watching those movies from that angle I feel like they become whole new movies and you really see a lot to the character and the performance mm-hmm. um, yeah and just kind of how popular superhero movies have become Rewatching those Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies it just like they're so well done in yeah. a way that I don't feel like a lot of a lot of the current superhero movies. Um, yeah. I don't think they achieve that level of quality. And I think a lot of it is related to, yeah, the, the characters and that relationship between Peter Parker and Mary Jane. Like it's just, um, and I love Rantoinette. Like, oh, I think, yes. like that, that to me, Sophia Coppola's masterpiece. And like, I remember at the time like that we was like, didn't get good reviews. It had a really mm-hmm. bad reputation. Like, they thought it was like superficial and glossy and um that like was weird that had this like cheerleader play this like queen of france but thankfully much like much like Kirsten Dunst herself i think that movie has gotten a major reappraisal mm-hmm. um yeah in my and- sofia coppola rankings um uh, Antoinette is number one yeah uh, that movie is belongs <laughs> absolute perfection i actually i'm going to be doing um a podcast episode about it relatively soon. So if you want to hear more oh, about what I think about Marie Antoinette, um, I, I, I love that movie so much. And I, like, I remember liking um, the Virgin Suicides, um, her previous collaboration with Sofia Coppola, but Marie Antoinette is the one that just like really like, it, it blew me away. And it was, I mean, it was the film that convinced me on Sofia Coppola. Yeah. Uh, because I, I wasn't as big of a fan of Lost in Translation as everyone else's. Uh, but yeah, that, that combination between that, yeah, that partnership between the two of them, I hope they will continue to be making movies for <laughs> the rest of their careers. Uh, because I, I think, yeah, that's a really, it's it's at this point i think it's become one of the more iconic um actor director pairings and i think like you say people have come around to marie antoinette they they now see uh just how how good that movie is and what it you know it as opposed to a typical biopic that's trying to present this um kind of 
I don't know, quote unquote, truthful um, idea of this person. I think people understand more now the way that the two of them are using this character to talk about femininity in the 2000s. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of like my, I think the best thing about that movie is how much it is such a take on like high school Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, being a young woman and exactly what you're saying, like thousands, like that movie was the one that was like, made me realize that like biopics that are less like, like directly truthful or like directly historically accurate are less interesting to me than the ones that maybe like stretch the truth, but go for something more atmospheric and more um like metaphorical mm-hmm. and like everything is obviously about the time it's made in and not actually yeah, about right, exactly but, you know Marie Antoinette doesn't try to pretend yeah but yeah I, like, uh, I also want to shout out um uh, a voice acting performance that ooh, is yeah. really special to me uh, I am a really big fan of her performance in Kiki's delivery service oh my gosh uh, yeah and I actually prefer the English language um dub of Kiki's delivery service to the the Japanese one and it might be partly because I grew up with her playing Kiki um and also like Phil Hartman playing Gigi but I've watched I've watched both the English and the Japanese many times and I just I think she brings so much to that character and Kiki is I think one of the most kind of relatable characters in all of cinema of just like you know this young little witch going out on her own and like trying to you know trying to make stuff work and just feeling kind of defeated and burnt out but having to still kind of like keep going like it's just like I I don't know any millennial that can't relate to to that story and I think her performance um you know is really I think it's really special and it does like really stick out to me like I can hear I can hear her as Kiki in my head yeah, it's um, really, uh, that's such a lovely, I think that's like, you know, my aside favorite. from like Spirited Away, I think that's probably my mm-hmm. favorite. Um, Fair. You know, because it's just so charming and like, mm-hmm. you just like love a little girl that can just like make her life happen, you know, and yeah. just like does stuff, you know, and, and it's like. And she's just like, she's perfect casting in that, yeah, in that voice exactly. role. And so, yeah, yeah, I don't, I guess I don't hear people talk about it as much, but I just, I really, I really love that voice performance. Yeah. So much so I don't watch the Japanese one. <laughs> <laughs> so having said all that, what was your, well, had you seen Wimbledon before and what was your take on the movie? Um, having watched it for this podcast or what was your opinion on it? I actually had it when we decided to to do Wimbledon. <laughs> it's a, uh, I mean, there are. I have some. I have some holes in my in my dense filmography that I need yeah. to catch up with, and so this was one of them. And I actually ended up watching it kind of in preparation. Well, I watched it this week. I rewatched it this week, but in preparation for this podcast, I was on a flight back from Germany, and it was one of the films available. And so I thought, like what better time than to start preparing for this episode (laughs) um, than when I'm so like many, many, many feet in the air. Um, And I will say that the, the version the plane had uh, was cropped. So that was a little annoying. Um, And so I was glad I was able to kind of rewatch it before this episode with like the full picture, but it's not, it's not really a film that I think necessarily like 
that where the the storytelling is like especially like visual and cinematic um so yeah when we chose it i hadn't seen it but it was definitely the perfect lovely little movie to like watch when you're just kind of needing some comfort on a long plane ride yeah. and needing a distraction um i so i watched it you know this is my first time watching it as well and you know watching it um i thought it was charming i i thought mm-hmm. it was definitely more idiosyncratic than i maybe thought it might be like mm. uh i had no idea that like james mcavoy was in it you know yes um, and so you say yeah you say that some of them were stars at the time and i'm like james mcavoy would not be playing a character this insignificant to the this, these days like he's he's a surprisingly supporting character. I'm not used to seeing him in a role this kind of small. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it was like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess this was like, I mean, this is like a couple of years before um, Atonement, I guess. So yeah. Like, but I guess he was just on the verge. But it was such a shock to see. I mean, I was, you were, I had the same thought. Where I was just like, it was such a shock to see him in such a minor role. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just like so, and it was just so like, uh, it's a very likable movie. I found myself frustrated by it because um, I was, I, I think I was frustrated because I was like, there's something that's kind of like missing from this the story they want to tell of like, mm. I've, I think I was hoping for more of like, um, I, I think for like maybe like partial battle of the sexes, but also partial more of like a, more like mystical thing of like you know he's good luck he's bad luck for her but good but she's good luck for him and like mm-hmm. I felt like there was something like missing there because like they kind of touched on it but it wasn't really like like you know like I think I think of athletes as being very superstitious and I was like kind mm-hmm. of hoping that would play into this one a little bit more and I think it did a little but um to me this movie felt a little toothless um in yeah. that regard. Um, but and it, I do yeah. think that the characters the characters are underbaked. And that's yeah. not that's not a criticism of any of the performances because no. I think these are actually all really lovely performances. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why the film works is because of these performances. But I just think that like it feels like none of them are really given all that much to work with. It's all a little, I think, flat. Yeah, yeah. Especially like Kirsten Dent, I'm like, what is the like what's the what's the character here? Like yeah. it's such a like love interest only. And I, I think maybe I kind of forgot that like that's kind of who she kind of was in the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Like you know, aside from like Coppola, but like yeah, Elizabeth Town. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think yeah. it's yeah, it's like very Elizabeth Town. And I was like, wow, like this was just her like her mode, I guess, in this time period. But because she's so like she's so effervescent and she's so vivacious mm-hmm. like she has a lot of energy to her more so than i think the movie is really asking of her but mm-hmm. um still i'm just like i was yeah something was missing for me yeah well i think like i mean it's a time period that wasn't necessarily as i've already said kind to young women yeah um i do think kind of the the setup of kind of her dad, who's really played by Sam Neill, who I love, but I don't really think he has much of a character here. Yeah. Um, but that setup of of her dad, like 
always kind of pushing her to be this great tennis star. And, you know, she has always wanted to win Wimbledon. Like you can't help but think of kind of the Williams sisters and their father. Yeah. And and now we we have a film all about that. And so it felt a little like I don't know. I, I thought that was interesting because it's it's certainly, you know, and we I like we get that that set up a lot in in sports stories, you know. I think of like also like um Wayne Gretzky and his father, where you just have like the really driven parent who is pushing um their their child to kind of be successful uh in a sport and i wish that like i think there was more they could have done with that as opposed to just kind of it feel it almost feels like a cliche in the film yeah i totally agree with that um because mm-hmm. i found it a little yeah i definitely thought of the william sisters and like just how can I mean, you not <laughs> how can you not and just like yeah. the cliche of it all was very um yeah it was very disappointing to me because i'm like well, really this movie is about like a disapproving dad like that feels so yeah. quaint i mean i know this movie is almost 20 years old but it still felt very quaint and i'm like yeah and, and this yeah, idea not- that she can't fall in love because then she won't be driven in sports but yeah, I, okay. I always thought it was so I always thought it was the opposite. I always thought female athletes had to have a lot of sex in order to perform well. That's what I've heard. And male athletes have to abstain. Uh, at least that's like, I think those are like the rules for boxing. And so this like, re- like flips it around where like she can't be the one engaging, but he like, but it helps him succeed. And so I just like, I don't know. I, I did sit there and wonder about that. I mean, that's why I was kind of hoping for more of like a superstition thing because like right. in they're like I think after their first night together, he's on the court and he's like, I'm so tired because Yeah. Um he's like, I'm so tired, so I can't play well. And then she's in the stadium or in the court, and then he's like playing well all of a sudden. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like maybe he's connecting some dots there, but I feel like he doesn't really quite get there. Um, mm-hmm. But what did you think of Paul Bettany as you know his performance and the character? I love Paul thing? Bettany. Um, I mean, I guess that's another like who doesn't love Paul Bettany? <laughs> uh, he, I, and he so rarely gets to be the lead. Um, so I think that's one thing that's that's exciting about this. I I think he has probably one of the more interesting characters. Um, obviously, he's the lead, but also he's kind of fleshed out, you know, with this interesting family. And I just, yeah, I think he's like, I would also immediately fall in love with him if he walked into my room. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is definitely at the height of like, I think when when I like was really like found Paul Bettany, like, 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 like really dreamy, um, you know, because it's kind of shortly after A Knight's Tale. So, yeah, I, I, and I think the chemistry is there between the two of them. So, like, neither of these characters are all that interesting, but they're interesting. And they kind of imbued it with, I think, like, the two of them, like, I don't know, I do kind of believe that they're falling in love with one another. Yeah, I mean, I believe that too. And I think it's because of their, yeah, as we're saying, their chemistry and just like, yeah these actors are just very likable and because they're like it's I've been thinking a lot about like chemistry for like romance movies especially Mm -hmm. because of like um the Glenn Powell movie that's coming out or yes I'm going to see it tomorrow um and I 
I'm a little hesitant on the movie just because like I don't know if there is any chemistry there based on like what I've seen of the movie. And of course, like I haven't seen the full movie, so I can't judge, but um yeah. I I wonder if they're like in this movie together because they're just like two extremely good looking people that people want right. to see in like a sexy movie together versus right. like having any kind of like you know any kind of chemistry that goes beyond like oh they're both hot and then when you watch a movie right. like this like Wimbledon which is um you know not a really great movie and not even a, like uh not a romantic comedy that I would like talk as talk about as a major classic mm-hmm. but because these actors are like somehow they're creating a chemistry that goes beyond like sexual chemistry but also just like you want to see them interact you want to see yeah. them make each other laugh like there and granted like anyone but you has a has a very like battle the sexist premise so mm-hmm. it feels very much like okay like they're not going to be having like their scenes will be more antagonistic than i think in wimbledon than they are in wimbledon so that's part of it that's part of the movie's premise but um i feel like in wimbledon like it's kind of fun to see a movie where like they're uh their conflicts don't come from between the two of them and but it's more like indirect stuff and also like external circumstances of just like they're in this high pressure situation and they're like Mm -hmm. having to run around and they're like it's kind of them against everything else which i I think is always a fun romantic comedy dynamic um well and neither one are like sex symbols yeah like the way that glenn powell and and sydney sweeney are Right. You know, Kirsten Dunst, like, while she's certainly very comfortable in a romantic comedy, and that's definitely kind of one of her wheelhouses, um, she's she's there because she's more, you know, she's more Meg Ryan. She's relatable yeah. to women. She's not, you know, I'm not trying to say that I don't think um, men that like that men or, or the people who are attracted to women. There we go. I'm not trying to say that. I don't think people who are attracted to women don't find her like sexy and attractive, but you know, again, she's, I think like, she's not like a very clear, like sex symbol. And the same with Paul Bettany. I mean, I find Paul Bettany attractive, but he's not like a heartthrob, right. <laughs> you know, like part of the reason why I like him is because because of his personality, because what he brings to his performances, because I just think he's a very appealing actor on screen. And so kind of when you give him, you know, uh, this kind of character and you put the two of two of these actors in a room, I think, you know, like you really do feel sparks fly, but a lot of it is in their, their little banter with one another. Like I love, I love the scene where um, he brings her the fish and chips. Like he comes to her hotel room and he brings her the fish and chips and he asks if she's hungry and she says no. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I love that line delivery. I love how he's like, oh, okay. And then we cut to them on the balcony, just kind of casually eating them. And we don't see any sex, but I find that whole exchange pretty sexy. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's just the way the way they are with one another. I think there is kind of like, there are some sparks here. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, what, what's interesting is that. Um, We're not just ogling bodies is what yeah, I'm saying. Like exactly. we, like these, th- there's personality. And that's why I think, and that's why I think these two actors are attractive. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's interesting because, you know, in, um, I feel like there's a there's a way to 
try to create that kind of chemistry through like, yeah, let's just snark at each other or mm-hmm. let's just, yeah. you know, let's just kind of like insult each other and whatever. And there's like, okay, it's like the whole like enemies to lover um, thing, which I think is a lot of fun right. and can be, you know, really well done. But I also think it's kind of underrated for characters that actually like each other to mm-hmm. like be fall in love and to see that, um, see that kind of chemistry, like that kind of relationship play out and that like, I never once believed that they ever were like, you know, I never once believed that they were like on the verge of breaking up because I knew that no. like, they just had this like inherent kind of like, like for each other and that like it go, it goes beyond just like physical attraction. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I really, I thought the movie, like to me, it felt like the movie was almost like afraid of that. Like, mm. did you ever see, um, uh, your place or mine with Reese Witherspoon? Like it came out like I think in February. No, I haven't. Should so, I catch up with it? No, it's it's not a good okay. movie. And I'm using that movie to negatively to like okay. as an illustration for how this movie is a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But that movie is like Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher are like you know long distance best friends, and they are mm-hmm. always like communicating. And then they like switch. Um, they like switch houses because like she has an interview or something where he lives and he's there and he flies over to take care of the son. They're both like the whole thing is just like they're like long distance and it's all through letters and stuff. And um, to, then we felt like it was really afraid of really like digging into the premise of like there's like hints of of the thing where like as they're best friends and they know everything about each other, but there's a lot they're hiding from each other or they're not telling each other. And it's because they have this like unspoken attraction. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know, but like the movie doesn't really explore that. And I'm like, why are you so afraid of digging into what makes this premise so prickly? And like, and I I feel like even in Wimbledon, like they do a, a little bit better job of like really exploring like what it like, kind of like what it means to like put your career online on the line for something Mm -hmm. like this and then also then have this like other big thing happen and like kind of that push and pull between like winning Wimbledon and falling in love and how like are those two things you know mutually exclusive are those things like distractions from each other and stuff and I felt like this movie didn't go far enough but it went further than uh than I think more surface level like Netflix Mm -hmm. rom-coms do and, yeah, I think um, that's fair. Though I don't know if I needed the coda at the end that like they have kids and those kids oh my like, God. Okay, yeah. play tennis. <laughs> like I think it just could have ended at like you know he she wins, yeah like, yeah like his win and and she's there to support him and then like we could have just heard like afterwards she won Wimbledon later but like the kids was a bit much the like well the kids was a bit this much is a great then. love story rather than like you know this is yeah, a nice yeah. love story <laughs> yeah i think the the kids is one thing but then the thing that made me so mad is he's like i don't want to teach rich people tennis i want to teach like i oh god I, f- I forget what the actual line is but it's like mm-hmm. teach like i don't know if he says like um regular people or like uh poor people i don't know what he says but then it's like this like inner city tennis court with a bunch of like <laughs> right black and latinx children in the background and i'm like okay this is a little little, very very 2004 coded yes but Uh, you also are getting close to kind of something that i have kind of noticed across like romantic sports movies and that is the like the 
the male sports star or the male sports player um, is always kind of at the end of his career. He's always kind of like Mm. things aren't going well. Like he's never had the opportunities. Like there's always kind of something uh, a little like downbeat about, about him. Like you, you certainly get that with, with Rocky and with like Kevin Costner in Bull Durham where like, you know, he he's going back to, you know, this, this league that, you know, was lower than the one he, you know, had been in previously. And like, everyone has to like, Oh, I have to now become a coach. I can't be a player anymore. And I just like, I wonder why that is like, why, why do the men always have to have a bruised ego in these movies? I guess is what I'm I mean, is it too simplistic to say so that they can have some pretty young woman like re-spark up their life? And then, because I, I feel like it's not just um, in sports movies, but I feel like in like heist movies or in yeah. um, like other, or like any kind of, I, I feel like it's always like an older man who's like, ap- not that Paul Benny's like, I mean, he's younger than I am when he made this mm-hmm. movie. So like, whatever, but He's like 31, I think, or 32 in this movie. So but he's like, old. he's at the end of his career. He's, at end of his he's career. approaching coaching, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, but then it's like, but then you have, because it's like, you know, you always see like older men and younger women mm-hmm. together. And then like, I want to see the reverse where it's like, yeah, it's, you know, um, I don't know, like Natalie Portman at the end of her career. And then like, uh, what's his face from Priscilla comes along, you know, it's Jacob Elordi. Yeah. yeah, Like have that, like switch it up, you know? Um, I do think that is probably one of it of just kind of the traditional gender dynamics we see in a lot of romances. And it's very much the, like, like the star is born model, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a really good example. Like, yeah. Like this is obviously, this is not a tennis remake of a star is born, but you still have kind of, you know, like he's like, she's coming up, he's like approaching coaching and kind of, uh, you know, she ends up being a manic pixie dream girl ish. The thing that like sparks his life to kind of um, succeed again. Like that is a very obviously common uh, trope that we have a lot of romances uh, but I just, yeah, it is, I just think it's interesting how so many of these sports movies, um, the more conventional ones always seem to fall back on that kind of dynamic between like, he's, he's maybe at like a down point in his career and she is kind of the thing that is a, that he's able to kind of, uh, you know, hit her presence in his life is the thing that's able for him to kind of um, turn things around, which I mean is a nice narrative, but like you, but we always get it in this one dynamic, and so I agree with it, you. It'd be nice to see the reverse. <laughs> yeah, it feels very like. Um, I mean, it'd be nice to see a woman's game improve for by being in love. But I also wonder if like that's a little taboo. Yeah, maybe. taboo, but like very like it might come across really condescending, where it's like, oh, she yeah. needs a man, you know. That's um, also true, yeah. and I feel and like I think. I think the thing, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but the thing that um, that is that is so wonderful wonderful about love and basketball um, is like the way that you know you see them over years and they are the same age and like her game really is better than his. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I also think it's a nicer story to be like, okay, now the future is female. You know, yeah. that sounds yes. so like stupid when I say it like that, but. Um, nah, that is the end of love you know. and basketball. Part of why that movie is so great. But yeah, 
Um, and obviously here, like we're told that, you know, like Kirsten Dunst does eventually like also win Wimbledon, but you know, it is obviously like, Yeah, which is one thing. Um, sorry? I said we, we don't see it actually happen. No, it would it's probably be too much for them to both win. And also right. then like then like Sam Neill would be totally proven wrong. Um well, but you I have to think... assume they become quite a power couple after this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did find it very brave to have her lose, actually. Yeah. Like when, when you think about it in terms of like, you know, I'm sure it was it's easier to i guess it it's it hits the um uh it'd be easier to like hit the like pleasure center if they both win um but I, and or to have him lose and her win but i i did i i, I like that that it, like the consequence of her getting quote unquote distracted actually did play mm-hmm. out that was kind of a cool choice and i'd also say like more interesting that's the Kirsten Dunn special. Like, yeah. I think it's it's really important that in Bring It On, they don't win. Yeah. Um. I think also, like, in Drop Dead Gorgeous, she doesn't originally win. Like, I think I think that's part of why we love Kirsten Dunn. And also back to what you said about Spider-Man is there's a way that, like, in her films, she's, she struggles. And so yeah. I think, like, I think it is satisfying that we don't see her win. Yeah, I mean, I was think back to I think like Spider Man Two and Spider Man Three, where which is just mm-hmm. so like, you know, she's in that revival of the importance of being earnest and um, and um, and she's like trying to get you know her career going um in uh in as a singer and it's just like completely failing and I think it makes her character stronger and I I think plays into that like you know, he's up and she's down thing that I think Wimbledon is trying to hit at as well. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like when, I think when Peter Parker is like at the highest of his sort of Spider-Man like thing, that's when she's at her lowest. And, and it's like, it, it's a yin yang thing. And I, I think, I think Kirsten Dunst is so good at playing defeated <laughs> because she's, yes. such, she's such a dignified actress <laughs> and she's such a, um, like one of the reasons why her role in The Power of the Dog is so captivating as you watch it more and more mm-hmm. is that you see this like dignity to someone who's had a very difficult life and is yeah. being very treated very terribly by someone, um, but also being protected by people. And, uh, but even though like, she's the only woman, I mean, she's not the only woman in the cast, but like, she's like, she's the only like main woman character in that movie. But, and it's like, but you never feel that she's being kind of like tossed around by these men. Like she feels mm-hmm. very much in control of her own life in a lot of ways. Um, oh God, I love that movie. I got to watch it again. Power of the Dog. It's so Well, good. and I would say outside of kind of the more clear, um, <laughs> outside of the roles where she is clearly playing someone who is dealing with depression, yeah. um, I think her losses and her failures often come across as victories. You know, so again, it, it does kind of feel victorious here that, yeah, she doesn't win Wimbledon, but she still has her whole career in front of her. And she does get to embrace this maybe once in a lifetime romance. Yeah. You know, so it's just kind of like she she always loses, but in some ways she wins. <laughs> That's how I felt about her, um, her Oscar loss. <laughs> I was really rooting for her. We all um, are. To win because it felt like it's such a, you know, got such a perfect role for her. And, and she and deserves it. 
Yeah, and she's been pretty vocal about not being kind of acknowledged um, within her own industry for uh, for her work. I mean, she does. I'm I'm fairly certain she got the best actress at cons for melancholia. She did. Yeah. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not misremembering mm-hmm. that. No, obviously like she got like, a, I believe a golden globe nomination for injury of the vampire, but like, there's a huge kind of stretch of her career where, you know, like, yeah, there is a, a lack of recognition. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think the power of the dog is going to be her last nomination. No, for sure. Um, I mean, more just, like, at her career, like, it's crazy. Like, Eternal Sunshine, Spotless yeah. Mind, you know, Hidden Figure, she's so good in that. It's, like, yeah. a very hard-to-like character, but one, I mean, she, again, she mm-hmm. brings the, like, empathy and dignity to it, you know. Um, well, I and to her- make to make the jump from child actor to teen starlet to adult <laughs> actress, like, it's just, like, she did it fairly seamlessly. Yeah, I mean, she did a lot of really... I mean, she's in a lot of really iconic movies from the mm-hmm. 2000s. Like a lot of you've mentioned, I love her cameo in the Bling Ring. Um, yes, was just like, oh, that's Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, I think that, that friendship like, with Sofia Coppola. Yeah, but it's just like, yeah, she just has like, um, yeah, and you know, Little Women, The Big Island. I mean, Anastasia. Oh gosh, she's so cute in that movie as well. <laughs> yeah, um, but. And like when I when when you watch a movie like Wimbledon and you see this like performance from her and just like how much the movie kind of curbs it or mm-hmm. it, I guess in some ways allows her to really flex her screen presence and her charm just because there isn't much on the page. But do you think like do you think she could like return back to making these romantic comedies? I mean. I granted, like they're not as being made as frequently as they were back then, but mm-hmm. um, in a perfect world, would you want to see her kind of go back to something like this, or continue to like stretch herself with like movies like The Power of the Dog? Not that she has to choose between one or the other, but what would you want to see her do next? I mean, I'd love, I'd love to see her in another romantic comedy. I'd love to see Paul Bettany in another romantic comedy yeah. as well. And I can't help but think of like something like. And maybe these aren't like like classic Hollywood romantic comedies, but I can't help but thinking about how great both of them would be in something by like Nicole Hall of Center, yeah. right? Like who does um, mature like relationships so well, <laughs> whether or not it's, you know, a couple who's been in a relationship for years or um, just, you know, more um, like, people who are in their 40s or 50s finding love you know i think i think something like that they would both be not necessarily together but a rematch would be fine but i think they would both really shine in kind of that style of romantic filmmaking yeah as opposed to the anyone but use i mean or you know we were before the podcast we were talking about um ticket to paradise which i did like um, but I think there's, I think there's a space being carved out in more of kind of an indie romantic scene that I think um, could, yeah, that that these actors could really do well in. That there's probably some really good roles there. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about her with like, you know, like Nancy Myers. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I feel like yeah. that kind she can of... get if she can get a great a project greenlit because everyone's scared of the budget, but Don't they always make money, money, so. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, the, the, the what people don't really remember about these like streaming budgets is that because like there's no theatrical back end part of the deal, yeah. 
they get all all these actors get all their money up front, which is yeah. why the blue, why the budget is ballooned so much. Yeah. But whatever. And I am just, not criticizing those budgets. I think no. I mean, know, I think I mean, they're totally valid. I think I think they deserve it. You know, yeah. Nancy yeah. Myers definitely deserves it because oh, her totally. movies always make money. But also, she attracts a lot of big name actors who require mm-hmm. a big fee. And you know, if Netflix is putting the bill, what are we to care? You know, it's not yeah. my money. I mean, I guess it is kind of. Yeah. <laughs> subscribe, but I also like would love to see her with like a Todd Haynes or a oh yes. Um, you know, or someone, even like a Christopher Nolan or something just to like mm-hmm. see what she can do. And that, kind of, I mean, like, I feel like she could do a movie like May, December, you know, I think she yeah. has that in her. And I think, um, I know that's, because I, I kind of want to see her go into more to like, I mean, I would love to see her do a romantic comedy with like Hall Off Center or yeah. Nancy Myers or, you know, or anyone of that kind of milieu, but um, I'd love to see her do something with like, yeah. Tom- I mean, she's working with Alex Garland next, which is kind of exciting. I'm um, excited for that. I've heard I kind, think of that's kind of some mixed cool... reactions, but I'm. But excited I think it's for just it. like cool that she's like that's what she's kind of like pursuing. And that feels like mm-hmm. her first major role since her Oscar nomination. And I feel like that's something that she can like. It's cool that like she's like yeah, this like weird sci-fi guy who makes these like movies <laughs> that people don't really like, but also are kind of good, but also are kind of annoying, like. That's a good that's a good avenue for her. And I like that she's like again pursuing these directors who are very interesting. Um and mm-hmm. uh I don't know, I would love to see her kind of go back to Sofia Coppola, you know. I'd I also like, like missing her and Priscilla, to be honest. Oh yeah. Um I'd also like like if James L. Brooks ever came back yeah. and wanted to make like something along the lines of broadcast news again. Um I think Kirsten Dunst would be amazing in that kind of like Holly Hunter space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, maybe and maybe just because I'm sitting here thinking about like great romantic comedy directors that I would like to see work with Kirsten Dunst, it's just like I'm also taking the opportunity to be like, I would love James L. Brooks to come back. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> even like a you know, like a like a Greta Gerwig or Noam Baumbach, like one of those where she can yeah. just like get a lot of really great dialogue. Yeah, um, but she's worked in you know like as you said like her her next film was without garland she was worked in so many different genres um so many different modes that it's just kind of like she has the range i think to really do kind of anything that's thrown at her you know um yeah you know we've seen her we've seen her in an action film like spider-man we've seen her in romantic comedies we've seen her in like um you know like bubbly women's pictures or like chick flicks like uh like bring it on and then more serious stuff like melancholia she's played like like i I recently caught up with a bachelorette where she is like Mm, a a huge bitch um (laughs) and she's really good you know so yeah i think like ultimately you know kind of as you've said like this isn't the greatest movie but these actors are really compelling and so kind of just watching them on screen and um I looked at the director, um, Richard Lon, Lon Crane. Um, and like, think like the only other thing I've seen by him is finding your feet. Um, which is like, like it's one of those geriatric (laughs) um, that I really, uh, I mean, it's a great cast. It's, uh, Imelda Staunton, Timothy Spall, Joanna Lumley, but I remember nothing about that movie. I mean, it looks amazing. Look at this poster. Um, yeah. 
It's yeah, yeah it looks I wild. remember nothing. I think it's like I think it's old people learning to dance. Yeah. Um <laughs> that seen... is not a I love geriatric rom coms, but you know, like any genre, no, they're not all they're not all the best exotic marigolds, right. you know? Right. <laughs> um I've seen two of his movies. Um, okay. I've seen, which I guess I didn't know that 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 he was the same director. You know. But... Oh, sorry. I've also seen his Richard the Third. I have seen. Okay. That, which I did like. Um. But very uh, different. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the movie made Five Flights Up with um. Okay. Diane Keaton and Morgan Morgan Freeman, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like another movie about like this couple that lives in like a five in a five. Um five floor walk up apartment and it's like about like it's kind of it's like kind of weird satire of like manhattan real estate politics um mm-hmm. and but also this like kind of tender love story about this couple that is like interracial couple that kind of got together in like the 60s or 70s and had been together forever um and then he also made a movie with um uh renee zellweger called my one and only that i, that I saw okay it's like um it's like kind of like a single mother and her kind of cross country quest for like love and stuff. Um, I believe um, an early role for Logan Lerman. Um, Okay. And uh, I don't remember much about it, but it's, it's cute. Like to me, like five flights up Wimbledon and my one and only, and I'm guessing find your finding your feet. They just have this like very like easy kind of low stakes, um, not very artful, but kind of, you know, watchable and charming movies enough mm-hmm. that like they kind of get by and you're like, you're not worse for watching it, but it also like isn't going to change your life. Um, so that's kind of his thing. I mean, I, I know he's worked on Band of Brothers, which is like a huge kind of HBO miniseries about, I think, World War II um, mm-hmm. um, or the Korean War, one of those two. But so he's like, you know, he's he's not really a director that I feel compelled to like kind of complete the filmography but you know he's made some interesting movies I guess well and I did kind of like I wondered I wondered is like is tennis just not a cinematic sport I mean (laughs) because like like because again like I think like there isn't like some really exciting like visual storytelling here um and compared to like you know sports like boxing and baseball obviously and basketball like they just I don't know they seem to lend themselves really well to movies in a way that like I don't know if I've ever seen like a tennis film really really sing I mean I guess the one that I would say are the two that I would say are really like the best ones at least in recent years that I can remember mm-hmm. um, Battle of the Sexes with Emma Stone yeah. and Steve Carell which is like you know, again, like very like, you know, surface level, but like yeah. that movie's kind of carried by its performances. Um, yeah, and agreed, uh, and I, also by kind of the the real life real life story kind of like, yeah, yeah, like the the gimmick of that move of that movie. Yeah, um, I mean, I did like King Richard. You know, I know that movie's kind of controversial. I guess I I admit I never caught up with it after the slap. Like it just kind of felt I was going to, and then I kind of felt. I, I just didn't have it in me to like watch it I, after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That definitely, I, I watched like, I mean, I watched it way before the Oscars, but mm-hmm. um, now I don't feel compelled to rewatch it, but I, I did enjoy it. And I thought it was like, 
for a movie that's about the father of like two of like the most important tennis players of all time, you're kind of like at first you're like, why is this movie not about the Williams sisters themselves? But then like right. the <laughs> plays it makes sense of like why they would make the movie about the dad. Um mm-hmm. and I guess like match point Another controversial movie, I guess, but that's kind of a tennis movie, but also... That came out right around the same time as this one. Yeah, yeah. But But I don't think it's... Yeah, it's not remembered. I wouldn't call it a tennis movie. It's just about a tennis Mm -hmm. player, but... um, I mean, it is titled after tennis. Yeah. But but those are the main ones. I thought, aside from those, I really can't think of anything. Um, Yeah, like, the one that I've liked the most doesn't even really count as a movie. It's that Andy Samberg mockumentary. Oh, yeah, yeah, And and Kit Harington, Seven Days in Hell. But um, I think it's just because I will kind of watch anything silly Andy Samberg does. Right, right. Um, Um, But yeah, I, you know, like, this is probably, I mean, this is probably the most well-remembered tennis film other than kind of the the two recent examples and you know i still interestingly i feel like i still hear people talk about wimbledon more than i hear them talk about either of those films yeah that's true um i feel like is the question about whether tennis is a cinematic sport is really interesting to me and yeah (laughs) i think it's I think the reason why it might not be is because of the way that it's played of like, it's not really Mm -hmm. a team sport. I mean, I know they have doubles, Mm -hmm. but it's not really a team sport. And also like, because of the way the courts are set up, it's, you can't see the whole, I mean, you can see the whole court, but like, you kind of have to do that back and forth thing that they kind of make, you know, they kind of make fun of, or they kind of point to in in the opening credits of like, Mm -hmm. it is a lot of back and forth. You really can't do a lot of, like cool camera tricks or camera mm-hmm. movement. Um, yeah, it's because it's kind of like watching someone play a game game of like pawn. Right. Like the two competitors are really kept separately, whereas like with like boxing movies, like they're really up in each other's yeah, like, or like in football. Space. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of like running and jumping and diving mm-hmm. in tennis, which I think could lend itself. It's very physical. It's very physical. It's, yeah. I, to me, tennis is like a very classy sport, even though I feel like it's the one you get very sweaty in. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, play, I'm just it's like... It's in heat, and it's like, you're running around everywhere. Like, why do we have better golf movies? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, one of the most elitist sports that, like, again, like, you don't even need to have a competitor. You can just play golf by yeah. yourself. <laughs> and yeah. yet, you like, I think we have some really good golf movies. I do love tennis outfits. Yes, exactly. It has like a big like fashion angle. I love a tennis sport. A tennis skirt is the best. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't. I I don't know. I I guess. I guess we're still waiting for the big tennis movie. Um, you know, the one that is like, you know, the love in tennis, if you will. Um, (laughs) The one that really like ignites everyone's excitement for tennis. Yeah, um, because, I mean, like, I kind of love the idea of this, like, um, like, you know, like, the big joke about, like, the, the like, Olympics village of how it's, like, everyone's just, like, mm. young and hot and, you yeah. know, getting together and having romances. I love that with, like, Wimbledon. Like, I yeah. would love to see him into comedy about, like, just a lot, like, a love actually of Wimbledon, you know, mm-hmm. with, like, all these, like, interconnecting romances and stuff, because uh, that's kind of a cool, like, we don't see that that often. Um well, yeah, and I think that's why I wish the characters were more 
developed in this film because like I do like that relationship between Paul Bettany and Nikolai Castor Waldo uh but like when he does like when when Bettany does have to play him like you're like oh he has to go up against his best friend but yet like it just kind of like the event ends up feeling kind of muted and then like there's all that stuff with like this other tennis player who like is interested in Kirsten Dunst who's also like one of Paul Bettany's rivals and he's like you know he's we're I think we're expected to believe like he's a bad boy of tennis and I just like I wish like all the other kind of like the relationships between the players and stuff I wish all that was kind of a bit more um fleshed out because it's clearly there there's clearly a lot of potential there you know the stuff with the two friends reminded me of gully boy Mm -hmm. Um, because like that's another movie where you have like two friends who are you know competing against each other um and I feel like in Gully Boy, you know, MC Cher is so gracious and so encouraging, but it doesn't yeah. feel boring. No. This is, it no. doesn't feel muted. It's a, it's a very strong character moment and really indicative of his character. Whereas, like, in this movie, Nicolas Castrovaldo is so just a non-character. And it's like... Yeah. It's like he doesn't care if he wins or loses. And it's he like... Really, yeah. Well, but we it's also just, know that like he's gonna lose because yeah. Paul Bendy has to move on to the competition. I don't know. Yeah. This felt like there's no meat there, but I'm like that kind of no. character dynamic can be so compelling as we saw in Gully Boy. In my well, opinion. and we know that he can give like a much more interesting and compelling performance than what he's asked to give you. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I don't know where he was in his career. I mean, because the Game of Thrones seems almost a decade away, or at least five years away. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume know. he was probably a name in Denmark at the time, but yeah, not yeah. so much, not so much in Hollywood. Um, it is interesting because, like nowadays, I think he would be considered far more of a thirst trap than than Paul Bettany. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, we all love Vision, yeah. I guess, but yeah, uh, yeah, but like again, is he a thirst <laughs> trap? <laughs> no, <laughs> not exactly. Um, no. But yeah, I. So to to kind of go back to, to Kirsten Dunst because mm. I was just thinking about this. That's the um, hook. That's why we're that's, here. <laughs> that's the why we're here. Um would you be interested in seeing what she could do as a director if she wanted to do that? Yes, I would. Um yeah, I, I really would. Like I know so like if she she produced this film, did she produce it? maybe not um i thought she might have produced woodshock but looking it up it doesn't look like um she did but like i would i think she would do something really weird and really interesting (laughs) yeah whatever she chooses to do i think it would be i think it would be interesting because again she's been in the industry for such a long time she's worked in so many different genres she's worked with so many different directors i yeah whatever she does I, i would be really interesting to see her I behind the camera because I think she would have a very um she would have pr- a perspective that comes from years of experience but I think also comes from a place that um you know we haven't necessarily seen um what yeah what she would show us so yeah I'd love to see what she would direct according to letterbox she is an executive producer on Woodshaw okay she is I thought so but then I pulled it up and I didn't I and it looks like she name. directed two anyways that movie's films. that movie's uh I wouldn't necessarily recommend Woodshock unless you're like a cursed dense completist uh but it did make me like 
really fascinated by with like what would she do behind the camera but she has some shorts yeah um yeah i thought so bastard from 2010 with juno temple and lucas haas um and welcome from 2007 with winona ryder i mean and john Hawks. like so i mean like i seem like at some point she had interest maybe she kind of lost interest um but i feel like having worked with people like sam raimi and coppola and even cameron crowe and um you know jane campion mm-hmm. and all these people like she i mean gosh you know um i because well, I, I get can't... a very i get a very like sarah Pauly vibe yeah, from her exactly. you know again like and maybe it's i don't know maybe it's just like as a kid i was obsessed with the same two child blonde actresses <laughs> right um but you know like again like sarah Pauly has had like a really as as an actress she had a really varied career and and kind of um yeah worked in a lot of different genres and with a lot of different directors and and then i think when she got the opportunity um to you know get behind the camera like we i think we were shown something um that we really needed (laughs) we really needed to see we really um needed her perspective and so um i think yeah when you look at kind of everything kirsten dunst has done of her career uh i would love to see I would love to see what she would show us when she's behind the camera. Um, you know what we, we did not mention, which is a movie that I love that she's in. Oh, um, is it Dick? Because I love. Oh, okay, it's not Dick. I it's love not Dick. Dick. <laughs> I mean, it's five more disappointing after Dick, but Mona Lisa Sorry. Smile. Yes, yes. Uh, which, I watched which that. Which is how she met Jake Gyllenhaal. How she met Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, yeah. and also stars another actress who became a really interesting director, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, yes. Yes. But I yeah. I love a teacher movie. Um and uh so any movie that's about teachers learning from students, I love yeah. that. <laughs> well, and that I mean that whole cast, like I you mentioned Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um there's also Julia Roberts and Julia Stiles. Like it's just uh what a cast. Yeah, really great <laughs> Julia Stiles performance. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that film in years, but I do uh, remember really liking it. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great movie. Um, but yeah, I I just can't imagine that if she were to step behind the camera, Kirsten Dunst would not do something totally fascinating. Like, I yeah. I, I wasn't a huge fan of The Lost Daughter, but it was definitely a really interestingly made mm-hmm. movie, and I had a like even something like you know Booksmart, you know. Um, yeah. I I feel like these movies are so uh, like uniquely uh envisioned because i think these actresses are working with such incredible directors that they must have like she must have picked something up from sofia coppola and you mm-hmm. know charlie kaufman and spike jones and all those people um Lars well, Trier, and- my god so like i can't imagine that she wouldn't do something totally wild and interesting and unique yeah well and these are these are women who have spent so much of their lives and careers being looked at yeah you know that you really when they get the opportunity to do the looking um i think i think things whether you like um the film or not um i did like the lost daughter i wasn't as crazy about book smart um no me neither but like it's definitely unique i think yeah and i think i think yeah that there's a I like I'm very excited about this trend of actresses um becoming directors because you know we 
sought for years with actors, you know, and I think there is definitely a different perspective that they bring in regards to, you know, their own experiences and the people they've worked with. And then like when they get the opportunity um, to, yeah, to do the looking as opposed to the being looked at. I feel like that's the best way I can describe it. But I like, I honestly don't know what she would do. I haven't seen her shorts. Um, And like I said, Woodshock is like, I mean, maybe I shouldn't put too much stock in that just because she um, was involved on the producing side of it. But I do think that like she would do something interesting. I mean, it's um, maybe her a taste. little bold. Yeah, she it's does have very fascinating taste. <laughs> yeah, and you know, for her only producing credit to be that movie feels very intentional. Yeah, it's. You know? I don't know if you've seen it, but I haven't. It, I haven't, but. I do remember the I remember the trailer. Um yeah. And I remember being like, wow, this is like peak, you know, Kirsten Dunn's like comeback. I mean, I hate calling it a comeback, but like Renaissance or wh- whatever you want to call it. It's like, wow, like she's really going there mm-hmm. in this like post melancholia yes. midnight special era that she's in. Um you know, we stand. You know, we stand someone <laughs> who like you know, really rose to the ranks in the horrible 2000s period for, you know, teenage girls and not only survived it, but thrived in it and then developed a career that was so meaningful and powerful and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, em- empowering as well. Yeah, I exactly. I completely agree. Like, yeah, there's just, I will always be rooting for her. And I think I... I will always relate to to whatever she's doing on screen. I don't think there's ever been a role that like, other than maybe Bachelorette that really alienated me. Although even then Bachelorette, like I really respect what she's doing. Yeah. I mean, you got, you got to respect like going there, mm-hmm. you know, and I always will with, with Kirsten Dunst. Um, Aaron, thank you so much. Do you have any <laughs> final thoughts on Wimbledon, Kirsten Dunst, anything that you want to bring up that we did not get to? No, I don't think so. Other than like uh, James McAvoy is really funny. <laughs> He's funny. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> I did like it's... that very like Three's Company thing of like, uh, you know, they're like, you know, he's like crashing into Paul Benny's house or into his like, yeah. flat and then like the dad comes and it's just a lot of hijinks, which I appreciate. And I, like, I really like that he's not rooting for his brother to win. Yeah, that was really funny. Um, and it was, it's, yeah, it was really funny. Um, yeah. I, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I watched this movie because it's always been, I'm curious about it as just a relic of these sort of like 2000s era romantic comedies um, mm-hmm. and always a pleasure to see kind of Kirsten Dunst, you know, not in her auteur mode. I mean, yes. I love her auteur yeah. mode, but also kind of fun to see her as just like a movie star and, you know, to see what she can do in a movie that is really um, beneath her talents. I mean, I hate <laughs> to say it, like, no offense to this movie. It's a very cute movie, but uh, having seen what she can do in the last 20 years, you know, yeah. she really yeah. is. Yeah, you know, elevating the material to her level. I'm I'm sorry if this film is the low point of this series. <laughs> it's not. I mean, I guess it is by default, but yeah, it's never a low point to have you on the podcast, Aaron. Oh, good. No, that's not <laughs> what I meant. No, but like it's true. Um, <laughs> but why don't you tell us where we can find you, what you're working on, and of course, you know, I think the best friend of this podcast, Bollywood is for lovers. 
For sure, yes. So um, I'm still on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. I'm at Erin E. Fraser, E-R-E-N-E-F-R-A-S-E-R. Um, I do two film podcasts. So as you mentioned, I do Bollywood is for Lovers, uh, which focuses on Hindi language cinema with my partner, Matt Bowes. And then I also do um, Trash Art in the Movies uh, with my co-host, Paul Matwichek, where we... Um, we do kind of two styles of episodes now. Um, we take, uh, in the, the traditional style is where we take two films that have something um, that are similar, uh, one that is kind of considered high art and one that is considered low art, and we discuss them and then kind of decide which one we like better. And then, um, so we release those bi-weekly, and then on the off weeks, we just kind of release episodes about um, new releases and what we've been watching. And we will be doing an episode in, I think, January on... Um, Marie Antoinette and a Knight's Tale. So Paul Bettany as well. Oh wow. <laughs> Not just stickers well, and duds. Uh, so this was a good warm-up for me. Uh, yeah, and then like yeah, Twitter is probably the easy and uh, no one likes Twitter anymore. Uh, if you really want to reach out to me elsewhere i'm also on um instagram where i don't do anything related to movies i just post cocktails i make and that is at balcony cocktails so oh my gosh yes <laughs> i love i love that um really <laughs> great you. creations over there thank you um, it's it's nice to have a space that's not like totally movie related yeah yeah that's the Absolutely. rest of everything i do <laughs> yeah um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Vertigate314. Also follow the podcast at It's Hot to Be You. Uh, next episode, we are actually going for the um, uh, often mentioned in this episode, Love and Basketball. So I think, good. Yeah, I think to me that is the definitive sports romantic comedy um, yeah. in a lot of ways. And I'm really excited to talk about that with my uh, good friend Shaq. Um, I came back on the podcast after a few years, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, Aaron, thanks so much. I mean, it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast and, you know, talk about, I think, one of our mutually favorite actors. I mean, I know we have many mutually favorite, but, <laughs> yes. um, you know, Kristen Dunst is someone that I really have come to respect in the last, you know, decade or so. Um, and so it was really a pleasure to talk with, with you about her. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Just a nicer way of looking down your nose It seems that I